You are listening to the HCL Digital Workplace Podcast, the place where industry experts, analysts, and veterans help us identify, understand, and prepare for the upcoming digital workplace technologies and trends. If you haven't subscribed to the channel already, do it now for regular updates. This episode starts in three, two, one. Welcome. This is the second part of a two-part series. We got an opportunity to interact with Varun Singh, the president and founder at MoveWorks, to discuss the upcoming implications and opportunities related to large language models and generative AI in the context of the enterprise world. We now continue our discussion with Varun. So just interacting and using models like these will essentially help them get better every day or is training them a, a different activity altogether? There's different levels of improvement that you can expect from these models at different scale. So when we're talking about getting utility out of these models, really what matters to businesses is do the applications get better over time? The way these applications get better over time, one way is these language models get better over time. The second way is how these language models are being leveraged gets better over time. For example, if I have better data sets um, and can create a better prompt and provide better information to these models based on user feedback, the model doesn't need to get better, just the way I'm calling that model has improved because of user feedback. So the application gets better. For these language models, yes, they have to go through retraining steps. I don't, I'm not fully familiar with sort of the incremental training that these models go through, but definitely GPT gets incrementally retrained. But the broader training of something like GPT-4, like a complete new model, uh, was well over $100 million. So you don't expect that to happen every time. There's not enough chips in the world to retrain these models regularly, but there's incremental training that happens on these models. So to summarize, user feedback at the application level will result in this application getting better, not necessarily because language models are getting better with this feedback, uh, but maybe because how the application leverages these language models, takes user feedback. The other aspect is fine tuning of these language models is not uh, wildly expensive. So that fine tuning can happen incrementally, and we do that all the time. We fine tune our models you know, several times a day, several times a week to improve their performance. Uh, another way these applications can get better is give them more integration. So if the user is trying to get something done, often the language model part is not the limiting factor. It's the fact that you haven't hooked into the right enterprise system right. to finish the task, or the quality of the content is not good enough to finish the task. So there's different ways in which these Applications can be better with user feedback. Some very instant, and some maybe require more retraining of models. Right, right. So, so whatever you said right now, is it is it uh, correct to summarize it in a way that the amount of effort and the frequency of retraining will eventually reduce over time because the more work you put into helping the model understand you better. Over time, yeah, I think there's well, there's some truth to it, which is you know the marginal return on 
incrementally similar data reduces, right? So if I'm just seeing the same data over and over again, mm -hmm. I won't see a whole lot of uh, benefit from retraining over time. Uh, but if I see new data sets, I can get better with retraining. For example, you know, when um, COVID first hit and started, it was an entirely new phrase for our language models. And there are benefit of fine tuning and retraining these models on a regular basis, uh, mining entities automatically from data sets. We were, our models were able to figure out that there's this new concept that has emerged called COVID in the enterprise that is related to people working from home now and that is somehow related to people asking for certain applications they didn't have before, that's somehow related to um, some outages that might be happening in the enterprise. Uh, but that's where sort of these retraining cycles uh, manifest and, and help a lot when there's new, new data that shows up. So there seems to be some misconception about what's happening under the hood with ChatGPT. A lot of business leaders believe they just uh, take a ChatGPT plugin and uh, have it take action across their business. But can you talk to us about why that's not the case? Yeah, I think, you know, so the concept of a ChatGPT plugin is is good to understand. Uh, what a ChatGPT, we mentioned that ChatGPT is not really connected to any system or data source on the back end. Um, but you can augment it and connect it to things and have it do things. And ChatGPT plugins is the idea that you can connect it to some things, connect it to either a search engine, or you could connect it to a restaurant, booking website, or you connect it to something and have it do stuff. So if you if you were to deploy that, some a model like that in the enterprise, uh, there's a few things that you need to keep in mind that's not sort of super straightforward. One, it doesn't fundamentally still solve the problem of factuality. And if you're thinking about an enterprise digital assistant or a virtual assistant of some sort, factuality and correctness is something you cannot trade off. It has to give a response that is factually correct because someone will act on it and the person acting on it will not be an expert in that area. So you need it to be correct. And the plugins don't solve the problem of factuality per se. Second thing, it still needs to be done in a manner that's very secure. So they also don't solve that problem fundamentally unless the way you're deploying it has security uh, baked into it. Third thing is the models will still, if they're not, because ChatGPT at the end of that is a consumer-grade model, if it doesn't understand the language of work, mm -hmm. if it doesn't understand, for example, that a loaner is a laptop, not a car, it will misfire, right? right? And it will get things wrong. Uh, and it might not work at the same level of quality that you expect. And at some point, people will lose trust and they'll be like, well, this thing kind of doesn't work. Right. Uh, so that's another thing that business leaders need to think about when they're deploying application is you don't want a system inside a business that hallucinates, that gets things wrong. And there's ways to solve that problem uh, as well. And then, like I mentioned, you'll need analytics on top of it to understand what it's doing, to understand how you improve it, how do you control it. How do you iterate on it? Who has access to it? And, and things along those lines. So it's not it's not super straightforward to just deploy it in the enterprise. So uh, for businesses who have decided that they need a very robust and an effective uh, generative AI-based product in their organizations to enable their workforces, is it recommended to go for the biggest and the best LLM or uh, is it better to have um, multiple models working together? Yeah. It's a good question. It, I think um, the bigger LLMs are extremely powerful at many things. Um, and you could conceivably deploy them for many purposes. But it's not practical 
to do that for many reasons. One, these models are expensive to run, both in terms of latency, uh, how long they take to generate a response because of the compute required, and in terms of cost, for example. Uh, they're also difficult to control. So if it doesn't do what you want it to do, then what are you going to do? You just have to re-engineer the prompt and ask it differently or whatever else. Uh, the right way to think about the enterprise is there's sort of there's the new movement of smaller language models that are very good at specific tasks. And there's many applications that deploy these smaller language models, combining them with these large language models when they're creating these applications. So the architecture that's taking shape uh, and will be the architecture of the future for AI applications, uh, and this is what we, we are doing at MoveWorks, and, and so are some of the other leading companies, is you use some of these larger language models for their reasoning ability. Uh, and then you surround them with task-specific language models that do specific things in the context of your application. So let me see if I can walk you through an example. Um, if I need to, let's say I have a team in a certain region and I'm like, hey, so what's the total revenue that this team has? And I ask this question of an application. Uh, if it's, the, the right design would be that the fundamental system of reasoning is a model like GPT-4 or GPT-3.5 that takes this request combine you know, the conversation context and all of that, those might be other language models, but they pass that information to GPT-4. And GPT-4 goes, okay, I have a bunch of tools. One tool can look up people, that is its own large language model-based tool. Another tool can go integrate into my CRM and find the opportunities owned by these people. And then another tool can go look at the field that has revenue and do this. And maybe I have one more tool that can sum things up. Now what GPT-4 an a right application architecture would say each of these tools has a description of what it does, and GPT-4 can read that description. And then on the fly, it will call these tools in the right order. Okay. Because it can reason about these tools and assemble the response for the user. So whereas with a traditional application, you'd have to encode all of this in a code path, like, hey, go get this first, then call that tool, then call that tool. Refail statements. Refail statements, right? Or, or do this first, and then do that, and then do this, and do whatever else. Sequence of operations that's hard-coded. With a GPT-4-based reasoning architecture, combined with these tools, the system, GPT-4 will assemble the logic on its own. And that makes it super extensible because then you can go back to it, be like, you know what? Uh, what if I don't include these two accounts in it and tell me the revenue? It'll go back and go do that calculation all on its own again. It's not another specific logic that you have to build in the application. So when you think about building these applications, what people are increasingly, what the world's going to go towards is you have a large language model that does reasoning surrounded by a lot of smaller language models, task-specific language models that are faster to run, that are more manageable, that are more controllable, that are very performant, uh, and they're getting called upon by GPT-4 to do certain things. And that's sort of the architecture of the future. So it's more, many of these models coming together will outperform a single model. So Vision 2030, ideal case scenario. What do you envision MoveWorks to be and uh, what other aspects of business do you think MoveWorks will get involved into 
yeah. in the daily working of each and every person yeah. in the workforce. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a it's a good question. You know, when we think about vision within the company, we think about the end state of the world. And, and, and for us, the end state, at least of the business world, is we need to eliminate the drudgery of knowledge workers and frontline workers, uh, of like just low productivity because they're frustrated that things take long or they don't have the right information or they don't have, they can't accomplish the right task within a business. We want to eliminate that. And the whole reason for the company to exist is to eliminate that. Uh, when we think about our product roadmap, when we think about our product strategy, we, are, we don't have a vision carved out that takes us very far, to be honest. Uh, we tend to look forward about 18 months because we, have, we feel that we can make fairly strong bets on the latest technology and cast a roadmap that's 18 months out. But a lot of the journey of building a product is how well you execute against your strategy. And sometimes you execute really well and something works and then you double down on it. And if something doesn't work, then you have to sort of make a call. Should we continue to persevere or should we sort of suspend this because this is not really yielding fruit in a way or maybe you reduce the investment on it. Um, so I don't think so much about Vision 2030. I think, I, I do definitely think that we will be touching thousands of organizations for a variety of help and service related use cases, uh, be it recruiting operations, be it finance operations, be it customer support, be it IT support. Uh, we will be the best company on the planet in terms of leveraging language models in the work context and building really smart applications that employees enjoy using. Uh, but it's Difficult to predict what the technology will look like. If some, if you ask someone five years ago, would ChatGPT be around? It will be really hard for people to make that prediction. Now, you can listen to their interviews. If someone asked uh, the founder of uh, OpenAI uh, how they'll make money in 2016 or 2017. And he goes, first we'll make this AGI, and then the AGI will tell us how to make money. So <laughs> I think no one in this field can predict where things will be in five years mm -hmm. because the rate of improvement of these models has taken everyone by surprise. No one really go knows what's going on when these matrices get multiplied and why they behave in certain ways. Um, so it's hard, hard to make that prediction. I don't think OpenAI could make that prediction either. So uh, 15 years down the line, we might even have quantum computing uh, sure. in enterprises. Do you feel that would amplify or exponentially increase the effectiveness of something like ChatGPT, or uh, will it be more linear? Yeah, I you know, I don't know enough about quantum computing to to comment on that. I think one of the things that is happening in the industry is people are trying to look at architectures that are not sort of transformer based, but different architectures to train models that might be better than transformer-based models. So Google has a model or architecture called the Pathways model that their Palm model is trained on. Uh, that is different. The model is extremely powerful. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Jan LeCun at Meta has defined uh, a model that can understand the real world and make predictions about the real world and can plan tasks in the real world and accomplish goals in the real world 
Because one of the deficiencies, as, as some critics might say, of large language models is they don't actually understand the real world directly by observing the real world. They're trying to figure out the real world based on language and sort of working backwards from language. But if you could have an architecture that allows these models to understand the real world, uh, they might be better. So I think where the big change might happen is one is, uh, what's the next thing that comes after the transformer architecture? That could be a big nonlinear moment. I think reinforcement learning will continue to give us models that behave in ways that are uh, uh, surprise us all. You know, no one really was quite ready for how powerful GPT-4 would be. It sort of wasn't a breakthrough moment because ChatGPT was such a big deal. But GPT-4 is outperforming Chad, uh, GPT-3 in many scholastic tests that require rigorous thinking, like calculus tests and advanced physics tests. So. I don't think it will be linear. I think it will be nonlinear. Uh, I think the biggest nonlinear move might actually not happen. We, do, we don't even need to look at lang language models themselves. Even if GPT-4 is the best we get ever, mm -hmm. you can expect in the next five years, the application landscape will change dramatically as people start to figure out how to use these language models in really powerful ways without any progress on the language model front. So even if you assume a weak scenario where you're like language models don't improve from where they are today, it, they're still transformative. Right. And they will be transformative in the next 10 years in a non-linear manner. Can you talk about the role of LLM fine-tuning and grounding and uh, why those two things are significant for business uh, businesses looking to derive maximum value from LLM? Yeah, fantastic. We touched upon this a little bit, right? So these. Large language models like GPT are trained on internet data, and they try to be truthful to that internet scale data. But businesses have proprietary data sets. Right. Enterprises have proprietary data sets that these models are not trained on. So if you want a large language model to make a prediction within the business, then you want it to be more truthful to that business's data set in understanding concepts or uh, extracting information or summarizing information. That's where these two steps of fine-tuning and grounding come in. Fine-tuning is the idea that you take these base large language models and you tune the weights of these models such that it is more truthful to your proprietary data set, which these large language models did not have access to. Uh, sometimes I've described it as you can take uh, you know, a BMW 5 Series and you can fine-tune it to convert it into an M5. That's an example of fine-tuning where a car that is a Yes, uh, change certain components. certain components of it to improve its performance in certain ways. Right, and right? in certain scenarios. And in certain scenarios. So that's the idea of fine tuning. The idea of grounding is that, you know, so we talked that these language models work off of prompts, prompts and descriptions you give to these models and they do some things with them. But if you can give them better descriptions from your enterprise data sets through either engineering applications or providing interfaces or whatever, these large language models will do a better job. And that's the idea of grounding. The idea of grounding is, hey, be truthful to this data set. Look at this example, mm -hmm. do something similar to this example. Or look at this context mm -hmm. and do something that's meaningful in this context. And that's the idea of grounding. So both fine-tuning and grounding, uh, independent of how good large language models get, because the enterprise data is proprietary, the enterprise data graph is different uh, and unique, uh, for each business and sometimes across all businesses. So at MoveWorks, you know, if you think about our petabyte of data set that we have, uh, uh, millions of interactions with our chatbots 
on a weekly, monthly basis, we have amassed a lot of data which combined with our machine learning operations platform that makes this data useful, uh, we can fine tune these models and in areas we've improved the performance of these large language models by 50% over what's available publicly. And what that really results in, it's not just some theoretical exercise, it results in an application that now understands an HR query or a benefits query or a finance related query much better than a large language model would uh, if it didn't go through this exercise. So what are the core capabilities of MoveWorks that help enable enterprise transformation and how does MoveWorks help employees navigate in the entire workday and remain productive? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I think, uh, you know, going back to the vision of MoveWorks, we want to make sure that employees don't have to wait for help and they don't have, they, they remain productive and simultaneously businesses are not uh, inefficient in delivering these services to employees. And in order to deliver this, we have several core applications that, that, that our customers use. Uh, there's an IT-specific application that comes with language models that understand the language of technology, combined with integrations across a wide set of enterprise systems, identity systems, ticketing management, case management systems, workflow systems, end-to-end, that can resolve issues in, an, in IT completely autonomously. So that's one application. There's also corollary to that in the HR space that integrates with many different HR systems, can understand HR language and deliver, uh, solve issues there for employees. And we have customers who are seeing, you know, 60, 70% reduction in ticket volume as a result of deploying these applications. Then we have an enterprise search application where you can connect MoveWorks to any knowledge base on the back end or files and documents and PowerPoints and in a conversational manner, ask questions and the system returns the exact snippet and the exact paragraph uh, from any of these underlying documents. Uh, so that's another application. But we've always, we've built this sort of incrementally. Uh, another thing we, opportunity we saw in the enterprise was uh, sometimes employees don't learn of important information in a timely manner. So let's say you're changing your payroll practice or you're deprecating an application or an outage is going on. And you will send emails and people will ignore them because everyone gets overburdened by emails. So we built an application that uh, allows businesses to communicate one-on-one -on -one with employees and our bot is the messenger in that particular case. Uh, so that's another employee communications application that uh, improves the productivity of the workforce by proactively letting them know what's going on in their environment so they're more, more informed. Uh, we looked at the power of our language models and we're like, well, why only focus on digital assistance? Let's use these language models to analyze all unstructured data inside case management systems. So if you think about typical reporting that happens from case management systems and a variety of ticketing systems, it tends to be reporting on structured data. What fields, what assignment groups, how long is this ticket open, how long will it take to resolve? But none of these analytics actually tells you what's going on inside this ticket because that's all natural language description and all these analytics tools fall short. But if you could understand what was going on inside the ticket, you now have an understanding of the voice of customer. And then you can prioritize the right interventions, you can prioritize the right projects, you can evaluate how different teams are doing, you can evaluate how service delivery is doing. So we built an entirely new application called Employee Experience Insights that takes our language models and applies them to unstructured data such that uh, businesses and CIOs and technology leaders can understand the state of service delivery in a completely unvarnished way, not through categories, not through assignment groups, not by counting tickets, but by really understanding the voice of the employees. And our latest release, uh, which I'm 
super excited by is Creator Studio. Mm -hmm. And Creator Studio essentially empowers service owners and developers inside an enterprise to use these enterprise-specific large language models and build new conversational use cases within a business that maybe the out-of-the-box application does not accomplish. So now we're empowering developers to build hundreds of use cases using these language models, using these large language models that are deployed securely, that are fine-tuned for the enterprise, that are grounded, right? Everything we talked about to further amplify the value that a business gets uh, from the MoveWorks platform. Is this a no-code platform? It is a no-code, low-code platform, yeah. That's why it's a service owner platform. We do, we've done a few hackathons with this platform, and we're seeing, you know, our, our customers tell us that building just one use case like MoveWorks would have taken them several weeks with other platforms, and here they're deploying a dozen use cases within a day. Sounds very interesting. Looking yeah. forward to getting my hands on that. So, before we let you go, tell us more about MoveWorks' partnership with uh, HCL Tech. You know, HCL Tech is the, is the leader in digital workplace. You know, and uh, every time we've uh, worked with your teams, it's clear that you serve some of the biggest and most prominent businesses in the, in the world. And those businesses rely on you for digital transformation, for automation, for improving their own businesses and often operating and achieving their revenue goals. And as a, as a partner uh, with MoveWorks and HCL, our visions are aligned, which is we want to transform these businesses to become more efficient, to grow faster, and, and, and serve their own end customers better. So partnering with HCL, uh, you understand a lot of other technologies. You know how MoveWorks sits in the context of an enterprise. So we learn a lot from our partnership, and it allows us to serve our joint customers better. And there's no one better to partner with than a leader. Uh, you know, as a leader in the space of generative conversational AI, we, we love partnering with leaders like HCL when it comes to you know, digital workplace and, and serving, serving our joint customers. Thank you very much, Varun. Uh, this was a very enlightening conversation. And I think when it comes to discussing generative AI, we are still scraping the tip of the iceberg. So uh, we look forward to hosting you again where we can continue this discussion. And we wish you a good stay, a happy stay here in India. See you soon. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. This episode of the HCL Digital Workplace podcast has ended. But be sure to subscribe for more insights on how to identify, understand, and prepare for a world of possibilities around the new and upcoming digital workplace technologies and trends. Don't forget to rate and review this episode so that we can keep bringing you the most relevant content. Thank you for listening.